to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're continuing our Bible study series called Living the Lord's Prayer. Living the Lord's Prayer. We've been in the midst of the series for about two months, and we've got about a month left. But we've been talking each week about what's the significance of living the Lord's Prayer rather than just saying praying the Lord's Prayer. Each week I try to come up with an illustration to help us understand the importance of that. And the one I was thinking of this week, could you imagine having a friend that desperately needed a job? And you said, I will pray with you that you get a job. Let's just agree, in the, you know, agree, agree with each other in the Lord. And so you pray with them. And so you ask them from time, how's it going? You got a job? No, I don't have a job yet. Don't have a job yet. After about a week, say, do you have a job? No, I don't have a job. Do you have any leads? You say, what do you mean by do I have any leads? Well, where have you gone to look for one? Where have you applied? Well, I haven't. I haven't applied to anybody. I haven't looked anyplace. You know? Um, well, what have you done? Well, I've been praying about it. You know? And you come to find out that they're not looking, they're not filling out applications, they're not going to interviews. They just expect that because they're praying, somebody's going to call them and say, I've got a job for you. What would your response be to somebody that approached uh, needing a job that way? Yeah, you've got to do something about it, right? Yeah, it's great to have faith, but you've got to be involved in the process. And that's the whole idea behind living the Lord's Prayer rather than just praying the Lord's Prayer. Whatever we're praying about, we need to be willing to be part of the answer. Okay? And so that's what we're talking about. Tonight, we're up to the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And so we're going to read through the whole prayer. We're going to focus on that. We're going to deal with our four questions that we've been dealing with each week. All right? So let's read through the whole prayer as we have been each week. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13 Jesus is teaching, and he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So tonight we're dealing with that phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And before we jump into our four questions, I want us to kind of clarify what we're actually asking here, okay? Jesus says we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. What do you think he means by praying for daily bread rather than just bread? What did you say? The word of God, well, the Bible says the word of God is like bread. Yeah, in fact, Jesus, when he was tempted, he says, we don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And there have been many Bible scholars who see not only a very practical um, aspect to this prayer request for a physical, literal bread, but also for, you know, interaction with God's word. We're not going to look at that part that much tonight, but that definitely is an option that is there. So when he says daily bread, I mean... How many of you, all you eat is bread? Anybody? How many of you, that consists of most of what you eat? Maybe you add some other, but it's mostly bread. No. 
In their day, bread was the staple. That was the main thing. Most people in Jesus' day would get meat maybe once a week if they were fortunate. Okay, Joan, what were you going to say? All that we need to survive. Sustenance. Those are good words and good concepts. And we see that in God's word. In fact, there are other places where that word bread is used, not just to talk about literal bread alone, but all that we need to survive, all that we need to eat, all of our basic needs. Chris? So another aspect of it in a spiritual sense is that Jesus himself said that he is the bread of life. So that's very, very important too. Again, those things are very valid. Tonight we're going to focus more on the actual literal bread. But when he talks about daily bread, he's talking about all of our basic physical needs. Not just literally bread. Because if he's just talking about literally bread, we don't even need to worry about praying this, right? I mean, most all of us can afford bread. Some of us don't even eat bread. I shouldn't say some of us. I eat bread. Not a lot, but sometimes, you know. Um, some people try to avoid bread because of gluten and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is whether we eat bread at any particular time in our life is not that big a deal. But when we look at it as the fact he's talking about all of our basic physical needs, that's a whole different picture. He's saying, pray, Lord, give us what we need day by day. Yeah, Vita. Yeah. This is, this is actually our first request that has to do with personal need. We've dealt with a lot of stuff in, the, in this prayer already, but um, Jesus said that when we pray, there's a whole bunch of other stuff we should be focused on before we even get to what we need. God knows what we need, and he still wants us to ask for it, okay? But before you get there, all the other stuff we've talked about should be first, okay? So the daily bread is all of our basic physical needs. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, what significance would that be that he says this day and daily rather than just God give us our food. Lord give us what we need. Why do you think he emphasized twice on day. That day our daily bread. Any thoughts? Verissa? What? Tomorrow speaks for itself. Okay. What other thoughts come to your mind when you, when you, when you see this emphasis he puts on daily? Mm-hmm. Okay, so today's what we're concerned about because yesterday's gone and we don't know what to expect tomorrow. But what's wrong with saying, Lord, give me bread for today and tomorrow and that's whole next week? Why wouldn't we do that? It's like, God, while you're at it, just go ahead and give me a week's worth and then I won't have to worry about it for a while. What? We would hoard it? Okay. Yeah? We'll get to manna in a minute. Joan, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. Chris. Yes, God wants us to rely on him every day. You know, if we would ask God to give us our needs and we could ask him for a month ahead of time, and he gave us a month ahead of time, how likely are we to go to him before the next month is up? I'm not saying we wouldn't. Hopefully we're mature enough and we want that relationship enough that we'd still go to him. But it would be very tempting not to, right? But if we have to come to him, and it's not like God's saying, I'm only going to give you a little bit, I'm going to give you a little bit. But it's the principle of being reliant upon him and coming to him, um, again, not just to get our needs met, but to build that relationship every day. Joan, what are we going to say? Did I wait too long again? Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't do what Jesus said? 
<laughs> I love giving you a hard time. Playing the devil's advocate. Okay. All right. So we pray. Oh, I'm sorry, Bruce, go ahead. Are sufficient for. I think that's partly what was behind Varessa's comment, too. We're going to read that passage a little bit later. But he said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, today's needs and today's problems are enough to keep you concerned, you know, and I'll take care of you if you trust in me. He says, tomorrow will take care of itself. Yeah, it's an idea of trusting God day by day. Is that what you were wanting to try to get across, Joan? Is that what you're saying? Okay, trusting God day to day, and then tomorrow we'll trust him again, and then the next day we'll trust him again. But again, because we're just asking for it day by day, then we have that um, that privilege, I'll put it that way, of coming to him every day and seeing him be faithful every single day. So when he says this day, the word that is used there could be, say, our bread for today or for the next day or day by day. Because if you're praying it in the morning, you may be praying for the bread for that day. But if you're praying it in the evening, you're praying it for it for the next day. But the whole principle is just day by day, God, we're trusting you and we're asking you for what we're going to need. All right. And I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it could kind of apply a little bit to what we studied last week when we prayed, God, your will be done. You know, and his plans for our lives that we're dependent on him every day to even reveal his plans. When I, one of the commentaries I was reading to study for this said that, you know, this concept really applies to almost everything that we would pray about. You know, that every day we need God's help. Every day we want to glorify God. Every day we want to hollow his name. Every day, you know, um, uh, we're going to need all these things that we are talking about here. Then one last thing before we jump into the questions. He says here, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we talked about the whole hour thing way back at the beginning. What is the significance of us praying, Lord, give us this day, give us this day our daily bread, rather than, Lord, give me the bread I need today? Then we need to think about others. Okay, it's not just about ourselves, all right? We need to be concerned about other people's needs and not just our own. So all these principles are going to guide us in answering um, these questions. So before we jump into the first question, I mentioned this very quickly before, just notice where this request is placed in the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Jesus says, When you pray, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Then give us this day. This is the first of our personal requests. And in Jesus' model prayer, it comes way after several other requests. What is the significance of that? Any thoughts? What kind of things did Jesus say we should pray for before we get to our needs? John? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's one of the verses we're going to read tonight. And was, no, no, that's great. That's great. That's the whole thing. That our focus should be on God first, not us. Okay? God, our relationship with him, the way that we honor him, hallowed be your name. The way that we're concerned about what he wants, your kingdom come, your will be done, before we get to what I want and what I need. Okay? I would imagine that most of us, and I'll say us, when we're left to our own devices and we just begin to pray, usually kind of jump in with, Lord, I need this, or Lord, this, or Lord, that, for me, or for somebody I love, which is even better than for me, but less so, Lord, you be glorified, you know? Lord, help me to represent you well in the world. Lord, help me to work for your kingdom and do your will. And Jesus says those things are actually more important. So let's jump into these four questions then, okay? The first question we've been asking each week is what truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? Applied to this phrase or this um, request, give us this day our daily bread, 
What does the Bible teach about God being the provider of our needs? Now, the next question, we're going to talk about what Jesus had to say about it and how it's evidenced in his life. So let's stay away from that for right now. But what does the Bible in general say about God being a provider and God taking care of us and our needs? There's a lot of answers that are possible. I narrowed it down to whatever's on there, which is still quite a few. What does the Bible say about that? Sharon. Okay, God is the giver and the sustainer of life, and he will provide for us. He is a provider. Any other thoughts about God being a provider? What? He is our ultimate source. And what do you mean by that? What I mean is resources. So he provides everything, and he is the only one we need to go to. All right, good. What else? Bruce? It's one of his names, yeah. Jehovah Jireh is God our provider. I didn't even get that in my notes. That's good. Bruce? I mean, not Bruce. Chris? Chris? Yeah. If we had been in Jesus' situation, you know, not eating for 40 days, and we had the power to turn rocks into bread, we'd be very tempted to do so. Yeah? Any other thoughts about God being the provider of our needs? Any other truths or principles you see in God's word? Like I said, there's a ton of them. So I've mentioned every week, there's a lot of stuff that can be said about each and every one of these, so we just got to narrow it down. Joe? All right, yeah, that's a good principle. You know, we pray this prayer, our Father, that's way back at the beginning, and it's on the basis of our relationship with him that we're coming to ask for the needs. Okay, I mean, you know, when your kids, grandkids, whatever, they're hungry, you feed them, right? At least you should be. But if you got neighbor kids coming over to your house every day saying, <laughs> at breakfast time saying, hey, feed me breakfast. You might be kind and be willing to feed them, especially if you feel like they're not getting enough at home. But then if they show back up at lunchtime and then dinner time, and then for a before bedtime snack and then back the next morning for breakfast, you'll be saying, wait a minute, I do this for my kids. <laughs> Not for my neighbor's kids, all right? But that's a good point. As our father in that relationship, he's concerned about our needs, and he will meet our needs. He cares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God created all things, and he gives us all things. All right. Verissa. That's right. The whole idea of him being a father says a lot about this. Well, let me go ahead and give you the ones I did. I'm not saying these are any better than yours or any others, but these are the ones that came to my mind as being really basic from the God's word about God being a provider of our needs. Letter A is God is the original, ultimate provider. It goes back to what Lori said and what several of the other uh, of, the other of you uh, intimated. God is the original, ultimate provider. It goes all the way back to creation. Genesis 1.29, God said to Adam and Eve, he says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now, this may be a piece of trivia you may know and you may not know, that when God originally created Adam and Eve, they were vegetarians. They did not eat animals. Now, before you get depressed... Before you get depressed, after the flood, Genesis 9-3, God said, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. All right, so uh, it's okay to eat meat. Now, you get into the law, and God kind of restricts it, and he separates clean from unclean, and there's all kinds of reasons for that, health issues, all that kind of stuff. 
But then when Jesus showed up, basically he says, that's under the old law. He says, it's okay to eat whatever. Now, there's still some things that people eat I think that they shouldn't eat, but that's okay. They can eat it as long as they don't make me eat it. But the point is, if somebody chooses to be a vegetarian or a vegan or a whatever, they got, there's so many labels nowadays. That's great. But God says it's okay to eat meat and some other things, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The second one, letter B there, is, and this was mentioned, everything we have comes from God. God being provider, not just food, but everything we have. Now, that sounds good. That sounds spiritual. Most of us would say, yeah, I agree with that. But how would you respond to somebody saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, everything? No, I work hard for what I've got. You know, I go out there, I work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I earn that paycheck. I buy it. How would you respond to somebody? <laughs> well, everybody's answered at the same time. Go ahead, Dorothy, because you don't usually speak up. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Who gives you the strength to do it, right? God gives you the strength. What did you say, Verissa? He gave you life. Yeah. Who determined where you're going to be born? Did you determine where you're going to be born? You know, I was just listening to a sermon. Uh, since I preach most weeks, there's certain pastors and preachers I like to listen to. And I was listening to a sermon this last week um, uh, at a church in San Diego, which is California, about 60 miles from the border. And he wasn't preaching on this, but he preached on something similar. And he said something about, you know, my son was born in a local hospital. And he says he's got a whole different life than somebody that was born 60 miles south of here. Talk about over in Mexico. And who determines where we're born? God does. You know, and as far as the opportunities we have, the level of intelligence we have, a lot of those things are totally in God's hand. And so that's, that's it. It's true. We may work for the money. We can even sing a song about it. I work hard for the money, you know. <laughs> but it's God who gives us the abilities and the strengths and who's opened the doors for us to have what we have and to be where we've been and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I got a couple of passages, there's more than this, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, God was telling his people Israel after he took them out of bondage and slavery, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul was writing some people that were all proud of themselves and their abilities and all that kind of stuff. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And I like James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The third thing, letter C, is God provided for the needs of his people throughout history. God provided for the needs of his people throughout history. You know, the biggest example that usually comes up, especially in the context of give us our daily bread, especially with it being daily and with it being bread, is we think of the daily bread God gave to his people, the Israelites, when they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Manna. We're not going to read it, but that's why I have Exodus 16 down there. You can read it later. But that's the story of how God said, I'm going to feed you in the desert. You know, you're in the desert. You got some animals with you. You kill them all and eat them. You don't have any more. So I'm going to feed you. And he gave them manna. Trivia question. Does anybody know what the word title manna means? John's like, I remember hearing it one time. What? Heavenly food. That's what it was, but that's not what it means. What is it? That's it. The word itself literally means, what is it? 
<laughs> so it's like people got up, God put it there and said, what is it? And God says, that's it. Yeah, that's what you can call it. You can call it, what is it? All right. So anyway, he fed the manna. Can you think of any other examples uh, in the Bible where God uh, fed his people? What'd you say? The quail. He brought quail into the camp. Same situation in the wilderness. Chris? Elijah. God, he went out into the wilderness and God sent ravens with bread to feed him for a while. Okay. Any other examples? Joan? Yeah, we're we're going to get to Jesus in a minute. But you're right. Exactly. Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes. But Jesus is God. Yeah. Like I said, we're, we're sticking to, we're trying to stay away from Jesus because we're going to get him in the next question. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. All right. You know, Elijah had a couple of situations. You had the ravens, but then God, it says that God stopped sending the ravens because he wanted them to go someplace else. And he went someplace else and he saw this widow lady and said, would you bake me some bread? She goes, I don't have enough oil. In fact, I was just going to use the last of the oil I had to bake a little bit of bread for me and my son. Then we're going to die. He says, bake mine first, and you won't have to worry about it. And so he did, and then her oil just kept on flowing until the famine was over, because they were in the famine, all right? Elijah's successor, Elisha, had some of the same things, all right? Um, Elisha, uh, again, it was a widow, um, and um, he said, would you fix me something to eat? And... um, and she says, well, I don't, you know, I don't have enough oil. Actually, she came to him, and she said, we need whatever. And he said, gather up all the, I'm getting my two stories kind of conflated here. He says, gather up all the, the old word is vessels, but all the containers you have, and pour the oil out of the one you have, and it just filled them all up. And she had enough that she could sell to provide for their needs for the rest of the famine. But here's a little known fact. Did you know that Jesus was not the first one to multiply loaves and fishes? Well, loaves anyway. There's actually a story of Elisha. Um, it's in 2 Kings 4. You can read it later. But he's in this big group of prophets, and they're hungry. And somebody says, well, I've got like 20 little muffins, you know, little little whatever. And he says, that's not enough. And Elisha says, oh, it'll be enough. And he just starts breaking it up and passing it out, and it was enough to feed all of them. Okay, so that happened even before Jesus did it. Yeah, Chris. That's true. They did it more because they... Found a source. Yeah, the two lepers that fed the whole town. That's a whole nother story. But God did that supernaturally because basically it was the Assyrian army that came to conquer them. God drove them off. And the Israelites had been in the midst of um, a siege. And they were starving to death. And they went out and they got all that uh, food that the Assyrians had left behind. It was still supernatural because God made it happen. So there's examples in there. But just a general principle is that when God's people were obeying him, he promised them and he delivered. You will have good harvests, you know, Um, your crops will be abundant, your grape harvest will be abundant, your flocks and your herds will give birth to abundant number of of animals, they'll be healthy, and and as long as God's people served him, that happened. Now, we have to, I'm just going to throw this in, we don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but, you know, these promises are conditional, most of God's promises are conditional, you know, God's people serving him and being faithful to him. God reserves the right that if his children are being disobedient, he's going to discipline them. And sometimes the way he disciplined them was by allowing a famine to come or a drought to come or crops to fail or locusts to come and eat up the crops before they could harvest them. But God promised that when his people were faithful, he'd be faithful. Okay. Uh, letter D. God has promised to provide for our needs, not our greeds. 
God has promised to provide for our needs, not our greeds. Now, you can put in needs, not our wants, whatever works for you, okay? Um, Just draw from one passage in in the New Testament, Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people like to claim that verse, and you can if you fit the qualifications. Just, you know, people just have a tendency to take a verse and just pluck it out of Scripture and just want to claim it, Okay? This verse is in the context of a church that was loving God, serving God, and they were generous to use their resources for God's plans and purposes. So that's really the context. You can't just say, hey, I'm doing my own thing. I'm making my money, and I don't care about God. I don't care about his church. I don't care about God's work or anything. I'm going to do whatever I want to. But God said he'll provide for my needs, and that's not really fitting within the context of what that verse is all about. God's people that are faithful to him, that are concerned about his kingdom, that are good stewards, says God's going to meet every one of their needs. I like this thing in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Some wisdom here. The proverb writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, he says, listen, Lord, don't give me too much, but don't give me too little. If you give me too much, I might get full of pride and arrogance, and I'll say, who who cares about the Lord? Look at me. I'm doing pretty good. Or if I don't have enough, I'll be tempted to steal. You know, Most of us don't have any problem praying that, praying that second part, Lord, make sure you give me enough. But has anybody recently prayed, Lord, stop giving me so much? No. no. <laughs> it's not something we would naturally do, right? All right. So all these things, promising God, God is our provider, he's our father, he loves us, he's going to meet our needs. You know, we see examples throughout history, he's promised to provide our needs, so that means we don't need to work, right? We just have to pray, God's going to provide. No, it goes back to our opening illustration, right? We've got to do our part. That's what I have down there for letter um, E. God provides, but we must do our part to meet our own needs. Now, this is not in an arrogant sense of, I'm going to stand on my own two feet. I could care less about God. I don't need God. I'm going to do my own thing. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about, God, I'm looking to you. You are my provider, but you've provided me a job. Or you're going to provide me a job. You've given me the strength that I have so I can work. You've given me the intelligence that I have so I can apply it. I'm going to do my part. If it's not enough, God, I know you're going to take care of me. All right? Even from the very beginning, we see God telling mankind, Adam and Eve, I've given you superiority over the earth. You're supposed to dominate it, you know, have dominion, but you're supposed to work it. Okay? So work was involved in it. Now, before the fall, work was a joy. And hopefully it still is for those that are working, uh, at least some of it, right? Hopefully people love what they do. I feel sorry for people that work a job that they hate. They just do it because they have to. But there is a lot of toil and stuff. We don't care about our work. But the thing is, is from the very beginning, that was God's plan. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You know? And we're going to dig into that a little bit more before we get to the end. Because, you know, we said, Jesus said to pray, Give us this day our daily bread, so we should be concerned about other people. But that doesn't mean that we just give to other people regardless of what they're doing themselves. We'll get back to that. So um, anyway, God provides, but we must do our part to meet our own needs. In the letter F, I put a lot of scriptures down here. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. 
But this is so important because we don't want to be so self-focused. Letter F, God often provides for people's needs through other people. There are times we see in Scripture where God just supernaturally provides. The manna, the quail, okay? The, the, the loaves that were multiplied under Elisha. You know, the loaves and fish that Jesus multiplied. But most of the time, God provides for people's needs through other people. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but you can look up Proverbs 28, 27. And there's a number of other Proverbs that talk specifically about how God's people should look out for the poor. All right? Um, Philippians 2, verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that has to do with a lot more than just needs. That has to do with our relationships and care and all that. But it does have to do with needs. Don't just be concerned about getting what you need and all that kind of stuff, but look out for other people. It's interesting because James tells us how, we are, how much we are willing and how much uh, we... Um, We'll use our resources to help others when we can is a sign of our faith. And faith's a big deal, right? James says in James 2, 14 to 17, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. It says, if you think you're a great person of faith, but you're not willing to meet other people's needs, that faith isn't worth very much. Okay? John tells us that the idea of helping others is a very important part of having God's love in our life. Faith and love, those are two biggies, right? 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18, John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He says, if you really claim to love God, and you really do, you're going to be willing to help other people that are in need. Short one, Romans 12, 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 6, 17 and 18, we often don't think applies to us because he talks about the rich. I've talked about this before. We don't think we're rich, but we are rich. If people in Bible days saw all that we had, they'd be like, oh, my goodness. You know, we're richer than 90-something percent of the world today. Yeah, Michelle. If you yeah. Yeah. You know, we have lives so much better. And so I just preface all that to say that these verses apply to us. <laughs> okay? First Timothy 6, verses 17 to 18. As for the rich in this pleasant age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. He says, don't trust in your riches. God's blessed you with them. Don't put your trust in them. Trust in God. Okay? I like this next phrase. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't that the way most rich people live? I've got this to enjoy it. And there's some truth there. But you don't need to stop there. It says, they are to do good to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. So this passage says God allows people to have riches. Again, we may not think of ourselves in that category, but we are compared to most of the world. So that we can enjoy life, but that's not all there is to it. It's so that we can be used by him to help people that are in more need than we are.
We see a great example in Acts chapter 2. This is after the early church has been founded. It says, All who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, that's not talking about that they were living in a house, saw somebody need, so they sold their house to give to that need because then they would have need. They'd be homeless. This is just talking about people who sold their excess, okay, or who downsized or whatever, okay? But they were willing to sacrifice because there were people that were in more need than they were. And it was a sign of the early church. Let's go on to the second question. How are these truths evidence, evident in Jesus' teaching and actions? In other words, how is the provision of people's basic needs um, evident in Jesus' teaching and ministry? Jonah already told us the one. You know, Jesus fed um, the 5,000, and then he also fed the 4,000, two different feedings. There may have been more, but those are the only two that are recorded in Scripture. How else is... Um, the provision of people's basic needs evidence in Jesus' teaching and ministry. Any other thoughts? John? Yeah, he met other basic needs. In fact, you can go ahead and write it in because that's letter A. Jesus met people's basic physical needs through healing and deliverance. Jesus met people's basic physical needs through healing and deliverance. So meeting their needs. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. He came to die for sins. But while he was here, he was very concerned about people's needs. You can go ahead and fill in the second one because that's what Joan had said earlier. Jesus fed the hungry. Feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14 and feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 15. Any other thoughts about Jesus' ministry or his teachings or anything about meeting needs? Chris? He had compassion on sinners. Yeah, okay. That's, a, that's not a physical need, but a spiritual need. Yeah. He had compassion. And, but that also the idea of compassion brings out another thing is that he didn't do it because he felt like he had an obligation. He didn't do it because it's like, well, God's going to make me do it. He did it because he really cared. And that should be, I mean, that's not something I've got in the notes here, but we should be willing to live this out and all that kind of stuff because we care, not because God's going to make us, or if we don't, he might zap us or, or whatever. Anything else from Jesus' ministry about um, the provision of people's basic needs? Well, I kept this part pretty short, but the other one is the one John mentioned earlier, letter C. Jesus taught that when we put God's kingdom first, God provides all we need. Again, we see this in the structure of the prayer, right? We pray about God's glory, God's honor, God's kingdom, God's will. We put that first, and then we come, and Lord, meet my needs. That's, that's, that's the priority that Jesus is talking about here. And he talks about, he teaches that later in the same chapter. You know, we're in Matthew chapter 6. And we get to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, which we're not going to read the whole thing. He says, you get so caught up in your life and you're so worried about so much stuff. You're worried about what you're going to eat. You worry about what you're going to drink. You worry about what you're going to wear. You know, all these things. He says, but you don't need to worry about it. Your heavenly father knows what you need. He's going to take care of you. But that passage ends with verse 20, uh, 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Several of you quoted that or tried to, you know, or something similar, you know, in your comments earlier. He says, listen, you don't have to worry about what you need. Just serve God faithfully, and God will make sure you have what you need. And you don't have to worry. God will give it to you today. What about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Okay. Now, does that mean that we don't do anything to plan ahead? No. We'll get to that in just a little bit. 
This quote here um, from a book called The Prayer of Jesus. It says, One of God's main purposes in supplying our human needs is to enable us to fulfill the kingdom commitments we've made. By the kingdom commitments, he says, our commitment to work for God's kingdom, our commitment to do God's will, our commitment to do what God calls us to do. We've committed to that. We've surrendered our lives to him. I like this illustration. Um, some of you have served in the military. I, I did never serve in the military. But if you serve in the military, I mean, you get a paycheck. But once you are in full service, they provide clothing. They provide food. They provide where you're going to live. But is all that just free so you can do your own thing? No, it's so you can serve the government, right? So it's not a perfect illustration, but it's very similar. When we choose to say, God, you are my king and I'm serving you in your kingdom. God says, great, you do what I want you to do. I'm going to make sure every one of your needs is met. Okay. Uh, Letter D. Jesus expects us to be actively involved in meeting the needs of others. Jesus expects us to be actively involved in meeting the needs of others. We see this, um, you can read this later, but Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, is a parable called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says, you know, at the end of time, there's going to be a judgment. And this is one picture of many that he gave of judgment. He says, and and, and God's going to separate the people, sheep on one side, goats on the other. And what is the basis of that judgment? He says, how they help people in need. He said, I'll say, you know, you helped me when I was in need. You gave me something to eat when I was hungry, something to drink when I was thirsty. You gave me clothes when I was naked. You came to see me in prison. And they're going to say, when did we do that? He says, whenever you did it to somebody in need, you did it for me. And he says, others will be judged because you didn't do that. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't give me something to drink when I was thirsty. You didn't clothe me when I was naked or come see me in prison when I was there. He said, when did we not do that for you? He says, if you didn't do it for the people that had those needs, you didn't do it for me either. So Jesus expects us to help people um, in need. Now, we get to the practical part. Question number three, how should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? I'll give you mine in a minute, but in light of all this stuff we've talked about, God being the provider and how Jesus demonstrated that and what he taught about it, how should this impact the way we pray and what we pray for? Pray in faith. If God is our Father and he told us to pray for our needs, that he will do it, that we pray in faith, that if we say, Lord, please meet my needs, that he's going to do that. All right? Yeah, pray in faith. And that he knows what's best for us. If we don't get exactly what we think we should, then maybe it's not something we really need. (laughs) You know? Or maybe he knows we need something else better or more. Any other thoughts about how these truths impact or should impact the way we pray? Okay, so we should pray for our needs on a regular basis. Jesus said daily, yeah. And when we have needs, pray for them immediately. All right, good thought. Anything else about how this should impact the way we pray and what we pray for? Okay, we need to pray for other people too. You know, a great principle for every area of prayer is whatever you pray for yourself, try to think of somebody else that needs the same thing. You know, you've got a physical need, pray for it. God wants you to. But to keep from being selfish or self-focused or self-centered, say, well, who else do I know that has that same need or a similar need? You pray for them too. Yeah. So we need to pray for others. You know, that's, like I said at the beginning, that's what is behind this saying, give us this day our daily bread. It's not just what I need. And it's not just talking about my family. That's why I'm saying us. It's who we're in relationship with. 
All right. Well, let me give you what I've got here, and then we'll deal with the last question. How should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? Letter A, recognize God as the source of all good things. Recognize, in other words, we come into God, as, and we recognize He's the one that brings all good things into our lives. He's the one that ultimately provides what we need. Letter B is just the basic principle we're talking about here. Pray that God will provide your basic needs. And you can put in there, in faith, because I don't have that on here, but Tim says that we good one. That is a good one, in faith, all right? Letter C, pray that God will provide for the needs of others. Again, staying away from being self-focused and self-centered. We're praying for the needs of others. Letter D, this is, this is important. Ask how God... I'm sorry, ask God how he wants to use you to meet the needs of others. You see, it's one thing to say, Lord, please meet my needs. It's another good step up to say, Lord, would you please meet the needs of the people around me? And you can even make a list. But it's a whole other step to say, Lord, how do you want to use me to meet that particular need? You know, it's something we probably don't think about very much unless we see a commercial or we see a TV show about hunger around the world. You know, when's the last time we pray, Lord, what part do you want me to play in helping to alleviate hunger in another country? Not meant to be real heavy here, but these are the kind of things we should think about. You know, what are we doing for people that are in need, not just around us, but around the world? But by that, I don't mean that God says we're all responsible for every need that's around the world. And we'll get to that in just a moment, too. Letter E. Thank God for all he's provided. And it's easy to ask God for something, but we don't want to forget to thank him <laughs> once he brings it about and thank him for what he's already done. All right? And then letter F. Do all the above every day. <laughs> all right, all the things we talk about, A through E, do all those every day. So that talks about how we should pray, what we should pray about. But as we said from the very beginning, this series is not just about praying the Lord's Prayer, but living the Lord's Prayer. So how, do, how should all these truths affect the way we live, the things we do? Besides, the, you should, we should pray this. John. Just being compassionate. Yeah. Okay. Having compassion on people that have need. Now, by that, do you mean you see them and you say, oh, I feel so, I feel so much for you. Well, no, God bless. You know, as much as possible, you do what you can to help. Yeah. Exactly, because otherwise you fall in the trap that John said. What good does it do to see somebody in need? You got compassion. Oh, dear brother, I'm so sorry for you. I'll be praying for you. God bless. And you walk away, and you got a way to help meet their need, but you don't do it. Yeah. So I, I knew that's what you meant, but I wanted to clarify. So you have the compassion, but you do what you can. Vida. Yes, get involved in missions through giving and praying and going. And Thank you, Vita. Yes, we want to continue to be a great missions-minded church. And that's good. And, and let me just throw this in there, and that is that if God does lay on your heart to do something very specific to help people outside your local sphere of influence, just make sure that however you're doing that, if you're giving to an organization, make sure they're doing with your funds what they say they're doing. And there's ways to look that up. Because there are a lot of organizations that they'll do little bits and pieces so they can honestly say they're doing it, but a big portion of it they keep themselves. 
I, I don't know if this is true. John may know, but every once in a while I get a phone call, and it'll be somebody saying, well, I'm calling on, be- on behalf of the Police Benefit Association, blah, 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 and we want your donation so we can better train police officers and help policemen's widows and this, that. And I've heard that they take all the donations in that they get, and they give a little tiny bit for that so they can honestly say they do that, and then they keep the rest of it for themselves. But that's a really good example, and that's one of the reasons why when there is a natural disaster or crisis or or whatever, we as a church recommend, you know, we give through um, Convoy of Hope because we know what they're doing with the money and how it's divided up. And our missions department is the same way. They try to keep the overhead very, very, very small. So whatever we give to the missionaries, it goes to the field. Chris, you had your hand up quite a while ago. You still got something you wanted to say? That's right. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced to be used by God, not just when it's convenient. You know, when I got a little extra time or, or whatever. But let me give you what I have because it's about time to wrap this up. How should these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? We mentioned this before. Just because God provides and we ask him and stuff, that does not mean that we don't have to plan wisely, save money, invest well. When Jesus said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. He's not talking about, well, don't plan for retirement, don't, because there's all kinds of truths in God's word about plan for emergencies. You know, look ahead, try to be prepared, all right? Um, What Jesus was trying to say is don't worry about it, all right? So just three things. Letter A, be responsible. Do what you can to provide for your own needs. Not an arrogant, prideful independence from God. But God, I'm your child. You've blessed me. You've gifted me. You've given me strength. You've given me intelligence. I'm going to apply myself to get out there in my world, make a difference for you, and earn a living along the way. So work hard. Use your resources wisely. Save for the future. Because as we already mentioned, one of the truths that says there, if you're not willing to do that, God says people shouldn't help you. <laughs> you know, If you're not going to work and you're able... And there is opportunity. Sometimes people are willing to work, and depending on the economy where they're at, they can't find a job, you know? So work hard, use your resources wisely, save for the future. Let it be, trust God for what you need. Trust God for what you need. So there's a balance there between being responsible, working hard, paying my bills, being a good steward, but yet also realizing that God's the one that gave me all that, and he's going to help me with whatever goes on, whatever I need beyond that. Okay, so you've got that balance. And, and that's where, you know, doing things like planning for retirement. A good illustration, I think, is planning for retirement. People get so worried about retirement and so caught up in that, and they worry and they work hard every day and they put all this money aside and they don't live now and they don't do what God wants them to do now because they're so focused in the future. And then you got people on just the opposite. Well, I'm not going to worry about when I retire. I'm not going to save anything. I'm going to use everything i got right now. And people even spiritually, it's like, I'm just going to give generously to the kingdom of God. And they do, and that's wonderful, but they don't ever plan for the future. And then they get to the end of their lives, and it's like, what are they going to do? You know, they have no resources. Okay? And then letter C, meet the needs of others as you are led. Meet the needs of others as you are led. This is how this should impact, affect the way that we live. Now, what I mean by that is not just, quote, spirit-led like... I'm not going to do anything for anybody else unless I get this uh, electrifying liver shiver. I heard somebody describe it. You know, God did something and just came over me. And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to help this person. Being led by the Spirit also means God's Word says I should help others. So when I see opportunity, I'm going to do it if I can. All right? Now, we do have to use discernment. We do have to be careful. Like I said, because if you give your money to an organization and they're not 
using it correctly. You know, as a church, we do have a benevolence ministry and benevolence fund. We try to help people as we can. We have a lot of money, but we have some. So we try to help people in desperate need in various ways. But one of our principles as a church, we don't ever give anybody cash. Because you don't know if they're going to use it for what they say they have a need for. We find some other way. We fill up a tank of gas. You know, we, we pay for part of an electric bill or pay for part of a water bill or, or something like that. Okay? We don't just give them cash. Now, I'm going to give you an example, but I want to preface it by saying that each person needs to handle this particular situation the way you feel God leads you. Okay? So I'm not giving what I'm telling you is what you should do. Okay? I do not, as a matter of habit, give money to people that are sitting in intersections and holding signs and all that kind of stuff. Are there people there that have real need? Yes, there are. But I've also been told by people in the police department here in Ocala that a great, I shouldn't say a great majority, a lot of them are scam artists and they've discovered they can make a whole lot more money begging for money than getting a job and working and that there are local organizations and programs to help people that are honestly homeless and in need if they're willing to reach out. Now, again, you follow God's lead. I know great godly people that says, you know what, if I've got a dollar in my pocket, I'm going to give it to them. I don't care if they're a scam artists. I don't care if they're going to use it to buy drugs or alcohol. I mean, I do care, but that's between them and God. I just want to be a generous person. That needs to be true no matter what, that we're willing to be a generous person to help people in need. How we go about it, we each need to pray about Okay, but that's a good example. We need to use discernment and be good stewards of what God has given us, but it doesn't need to be all about us, but helping other people. So thank God we have a provider, a father who loves us, who cares about us, who's going to help us work hard and provide for our needs through our own efforts. And when our own efforts aren't enough, he's going to take care of us. But we've got to make sure it's not just about us, it's about others too. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word tonight to look at this particular phrase. We thank you that you are our provider. Lord, not a single one of us in this room have gone hungry lately, probably, unless it was by choice or we just missed a meal or something like that. You have blessed us so much, so much more than the rest of the world. That's your choice, Lord God, and we rejoice and we thank you for that. But help us not to be about all about ourselves, but, Lord, to be good stewards of what you've given us, Lord Jesus always willing to help others and to have that compassion and that love. Guide and lead us, Lord God, as to how and when and, and how much we should use of our resources to help other people. And Father, we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.